If Joshua chapter 6 is where we are today. We are continuing our journey through the gospel of Joshua. So here we go, Joshua chapter number 6. If you're ready, we're going to start in verse number 1 and read the bulk of this chapter and uh, try to deal as faithfully as we can in the time allotted with this chapter. And several folk have asked why, and the reason is that, man, these, uh, these are just self-contained stories that need to be kept together. By the way, what do we call a self-contained story? Thank you, thank you, a pericope, that's right. So here we go, let's look at this pericope, Joshua chapter 6, beginning in verse number 1. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and the valiant warriors. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, circling the city once. You shall do, uh, you shall do so for six days. Also seven priests carrying seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets." It shall be when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up every man straight ahead. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant, and let seven priests carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of Yahweh. Then he said to the people, Go forward and march around the city and let the armed men go on before the ark of Yahweh. And it was so that when Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carried the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord and went forward and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priest who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark while they continued to blow the trumpets. But Joshua commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout, nor let your voice be heard, nor let a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I tell you shout. Then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord taken around the city, circling it once, Then they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Now Joshua rose early in the morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew the trumpets and the armed men went before them. The rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while they continued to blow the trumpets. Thus the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp They did so for six days. Then on the seventh day, they rose early at the dawning of the day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. Only on that day they marched around the city seven times. At the seventh time, when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city shall be under the ban." And all that is in it belongs to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot and all who are with her in the house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But as for you, 
Only keep yourselves from things under the ban so that you do not covet them and take some of the things under the ban and make the camp of Israel accursed and bring trouble on it. But all the silver and gold and articles of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and blew the trumpets. And when the people heard the sound of the trumpets, the people shouted with a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight ahead, and they took the city. They utterly destroyed everything in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the harlot's house and bring the woman and all she has out of there as you have sworn to her. So the young men who were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brothers and all she had. They also brought out all her relatives and placed them outside the camp of Israel. They burned the city with fire and all that was in it. Only the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. However, Rahab the harlot and her father's household and all she had, Joshua spared. And she has lived in the midst of Israel to this day, for she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out the land. Well, another miraculous story of what God did as He had promised to do years ago through Moses and gave opportunity to the previous generation, but somehow or another they fell short, and now God is about fulfilling long-standing promises. But I, I, I want to ask you a question today and, and think about this because there's a, a couple of issues here over which we are going to have to put on our theological thinking hat. So I'm telling you right now, get it out, dust it off, hit it on your thigh and get ready to pull that thinking cap on because we're going to use it a little bit today. Now first question I have for you is if you were just asked carte blanche what or who caused the walls of Jericho to fall. If all you had was this text, what would be the obvious response? You would say the Lord, and you would not be totally amiss. But you know, it sure is good when we have an inspired author in the New Testament who gives infallible commentary upon an Old Testament event. And you see, that's what we have in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 30. We have an inspired author given commentary on an Old Testament event to help us understand it a little bit better. And lo and behold, here's what the inspired author of Hebrews has to say about the falling of the walls in Jericho. You read it a little while ago. I wonder if you picked up on it. Here's what he says. He says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell. So what is he telling us here? Well, naturally we know it was faith in God, but nonetheless, the instrumentality which the writer of the Hebrews marks out as the causal effect of the walls falling was the faith of the people of God. So now, let's just stop and think about that for a minute, and here's where I need you to put your theological thinking caps on. Because there are some things which the Bible tells us 
God does, and He does according to His sovereign power and wisdom, and our orientation by faith to those events really means very little. Those are what's known as the sovereign decrees of God. You know, there are some things God's going to do, and it doesn't matter if you sit down and thumb your nose at Him, He's still going to get them done because they are His holy and royal sovereign decrees. But yet, on the other hand, there are some things that the Bible purports that God will not and does not do apart from the faith of His people. So you see what happens here is, is in, in, in this narrative of, of, of Jericho, we have one of those events where God works through the faith of His people. And it's in these areas where we can say that it's almost as if God limits His power and His presence by or congruent with the faith of His people. So here's what faith does. In those areas, in those theological issues, we're not talking about royal sovereign decrees, but we're talking about these things that the Bible ties to the faith of His people. Here's what faith does. Faith is really what puts us in a proper orientation to God so that God can unleash His presence, His power, and His wisdom through us in order to accomplish His will. Now, in Grace Group this week, you can just imagine, we're going to look at some of those things that God does not and normally will not do apart from the faith of His people. So if we're going to see God use us, then we have got to have the faith that correctly orients us to God. And in such cases, here's what happens. When we are correctly oriented to God by faith, then the church becomes a conduit, becomes a vessel through whom God unleashes His power to accomplish miraculous things on this planet. So here's the way it looks. Let me see if I can give you a visual demonstration. Let's just say this is the church. You could also say, maybe in certain instances, this is you. This particular text, we're going to see the, the implications of corporate life. So let's just look at it and say that this is the church, even though we could say it's an individual as well. Here's what faith does. Faith will properly orient you as a potential conduit of the power and presence of God. It will properly orient you toward God in order that He can transfer His will and His blessings through you. Now watch this. If this is the way we are, if we're not oriented correctly to God, here's God pouring His power and wisdom and might. If we're not correctly oriented to God, look at this. Nothing takes place. But what happens is faith will orient us towards the Lord and then here's what we look like. We look like a spout through whom the power and the presence and the blessings and the wisdom of God are channeled. Now, I don't know about you, but I had rather be properly oriented to God and let His presence and power be conduited or channeled through my life 
as opposed to being like this and let it just all bounce off of us. So in light of what the inspired author of Hebrews says as he comments on this text, we can say that the theme of this entire passage then must be the faith of the people of God. So here's our subject for the day. Faith that is the victory. Or it could be victorious faith, whatever. You know, John tells us that faith is the victory that overcomes the world. So how was it that the walls of Jericho fell? How did the Israelites take the very first city that they engaged in battle in the promised land? It was by faith. Faith is the victory. So now, let's step back and let this passage just tell us how it is that you and I can have victorious faith so that we, Grace Church, becomes the conduit of God's victory. Notice what this passage tells us, several things, but let's start out right here up top in verses 13 through, chap- through verse 2 of chapter 6. 5, 13 and, and through 2 of chapter 6, I think you can see that this is really a seamless episode. Remember last week, Joshua was worried, walking around probably at night by Jericho, and he encountered this divine personage that really is not identified in chapter 5 other than the captain of the Lord's host. But notice now, if this is a seamless transition, notice how this guy is identified in verse number 2 of chapter 6. Here's the the transition. Uh, The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place whereon you're standing is holy, and Joshua did so. Now, now the city of Jericho was tightly shut up because of the sons of Israel. No one went out, and no no one came in. The Lord said to Joshua, do you see that? So if this is a smooth transition, who was the captain of the host of the Lord. It was none other than the Lord Himself. So it was a theophanic manifestation of the person of God, just like we have commonly happened in the Old Testament. But now, here's what we can say because of all of this about victorious faith. We can say, number one, that if we're going to have victorious faith, then mark this down. Victorious faith has well established priorities. Well-established priorities. Watch me. If we don't have well-established priorities, then our faith is not orienting us towards God. We're like this, and we're crossways with God. And we're of very little use in the kingdom of heaven. But biblical victorious faith will always put us in the right position and the right orientation for God to be able to work through us. Hey, I don't know about you, but there is nothing within me that can do anybody any good anywhere. Huh? If anything's going to happen good through Grace Church, we don't have it resident within us. It must come from another source, and that source is God. So it is absolutely imperative that we as a church are properly oriented so that God can use us as a channel of His blessing. Now, notice these well-established priorities. What are the priorities of victorious faith? Notice again the seamless chapter. 
I think the first priority identified in this text as the established priorities of faith is victorious faith bows in worship. Did you notice again this chapter uh, 5 verses 13 through 16? All Joshua was wanting to know was what? And all the captain was wanting to talk about was who? And here it ends up that God eventually conquers Joshua's erring mentality and he simply gets him in his presence to worship. So here Joshua bows in worship. It's said twice. There, there's a couple of worship uh, expressions in verse 13 through 16. Number one, he bows in worship. Then he takes off his feet and he worships the Lord as identified in verse number 2, who manifested in verses 13 through 16. Can I say this to you? Without worship, you are not properly oriented toward God. You are not. And it must be a priority. It's got to be a priority. Because here's, here's, your, here's your clincher to write down for today. If we are not good worshipers... We will not be good workers. And do you understand, before Joshua got a battle plan, he had to be a worshiper. Because in Joshua's sake, we can say this, if Joshua was not a good worshiper, Joshua would not have been a good warrior. Here's the deal. It's worship that fills you up. Huh? It's worship that gives you something to channel. It's worship that helps feed our soul. It's worship that helps fuel our service. And hear me, grace says that we are a sending church. Hey, at the end of every service we say, Grace Church, you are sent. But hear me, if we haven't worshipped properly, then we have nothing to carry with us when we're sent because if we're not good worshipers, we will not be good workers. That's all there is to it. And all we'll be is a bunch of crossways pipes going out through the community saying hollow things that really impact nobody's life. Hey, worship is a well-established priority for victorious faith. Here's what bothers me. I don't think we're there yet at grace. We fluctuate way too much. We'll be at 161 Sunday and we'll be at 60 the next. And until we get this stuff right, I'm telling you, there's not going to be a whole lot of victorious living because we cannot be good wor workers if we are not good worshipers. Because the bottom line, if worship's not a priority, then friend, we're not properly oriented toward God. And if you're not properly oriented toward God, how in the world can He use you if you cross ways? We've got to get this thing right. Hey, how are you in your worship of the Lord? Is it hit or miss? Are you one of those every other Sunday? Are you good for about... Look, we got too much of that, guys. Too much of it. Now hear me, I know I'm preaching to the choir today because I'm preaching today on a 60 day, huh? I should have preached this last Sunday when we were full. But I want to tell you, listen to me, it doesn't matter if we've got 160 folk here on Sunday 
And they're not worshipers. They're just here checking a box. We are a bunch of powerless, pathetic, wimpy believers. And all we'll get is laughed at by the world. Y'all want to do what? <laughs> y'all ain't seen nothing take place through y'all that you can't describe to a bunch of weakling believers who are limping along in Bonifay, Florida. Something's got to take place, and I don't know what it is. The answer to having folk get well-established priorities, not a preacher preaching on them. Did you know that? I can sit up here and preach and half of you will be out next Sunday because it just didn't take. God's got to do something. How do you know when God begins to work in a church? How do you know when revival begins to take place? Because folk begin to reorient their priorities. And Sunday's just not something I do if I have nothing else that's more interesting. Sunday is the priority. It is my life. It's the air I breathe. It's what fills me up. It's what fuels my service. It's what feeds my soul. And I'm going to be there come hell or high water because there's nothing I'd rather do than be with God's people worshiping God on Sunday. And boys, let me tell you, we are just not there. So you know what's going to take place first time we come up to the battle? Jericho's going to wax our honey. You know what's going to take place first time you come up to a battle and your life is like this? Could that be why there's so little victorious living? Because we don't have these priorities right because we're crossways with God. Notice, God got Joshua in His presence. He focused on the who. Joshua had a worship experience. And until that took place, there could be no engagement of Jericho because he wasn't ready. And boy, I want to tell you, we're not ready to engage our world either. On Monday, if we've not worshipped on Sunday, and I'm not talking about just being here to check a box, I'm talking about if we've not had an encounter with God that helps orient us to who God is so that we're prepared for the battle that we're going to face on Monday so that we can be victorious in our faith. Look at this. Victorious faith has well-established priorities. Number one, it bows in worship. Number two, it believes God's Word. Believes God's Word. Now, I want you to see this as well. Would, would you look with me? And I think the sequence of this is hugely important. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, The Lord said to Joshua... Did you notice that that the Lord wasn't really identified and the Word didn't come to Him until after what? Until after He had worshipped. And so many people run around wanting God to give them some great and profound Word, but their lives are out of kilter with God and they think that God's going to open His Word and feed them and give them some astounding revelation when they didn't even care enough to get up and worship on Sunday morning. It's just not going to happen. Until that worship experience took place, God really had very little to say to Joshua about the battle. As a matter of fact, He said nothing about the battle. He only began to get specific with Joshua after Joshua had bowed in worship. Now notice what Joshua does because this is not just that easy. Check out, 
the priorities are bowing in worship, believing God's Word. But now, notice this. Put yourself in Joshua's place. I mean, Joshua just had a worship encounter with God. On the hills or in the midst of that worship encounter, here's what the Lord says. See or look. See, he's close to Jericho. That's what 5 through 13 says. He was by it. He was in eyesight. He could see it. So it's almost as if the Lord says, look. There it is. Now look what he says. See, I have given Jericho into your hands with its king and its valiant warriors. Now, here's where Joshua had to have faith. Not only did his faith bow in worship, but his faith had to believe God's word. And that type of victorious faith believes God's word even when it's not obvious. Even when it's not obvious. I mean, look what... The Word says. Verse number 1 says, Now Jericho was tightly shut up. Nobody goes in. Nobody comes out. And then God takes Joshua. He said, Joshua, look right over there. You see that tightly shut up fortified city with walls that are about 75 feet thick and about 45 feet tall? Joshua said, yep. He said, see, I've given it to you. Now does it look like he's given it to you at all from that perspective? Heck no. What does it look like? It looks like Jericho has the upper hand. They're winning. You see, that's what walls were built for back then. To keep people from being able to conquer the city. But no, God looks at stuff a little bit different than we do, does He not? He looked over there at that city and saw it shut up where Joshua looked at it and thought, how in the world are we going to conquer that place? God looks at it and says, hey, look at it. It's a sitting duck. It's a piece of cake. Just go in there and take it. Now, stop it on pause right there. Joshua had to believe God's Word even though it didn't look like that was the case with his eyes, right? Hey, have you ever been there? Here's what God's Word is most often. God's Word is most often counterintuitive. Now, that's just a big word that means it's God's Word asks us to do what we would not normally do. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't look like it was given to him. It looked just the opposite. But God says, Joshua, look, I've given it to you. Victorious faith believes God's Word even when it's not obvious. Friend, that's the nature of faith, is it not? Believing God and taking Him at His Word. Can I just say to you that this book is the authoritative, inspired, inerrant Word of God. It it, it has no contradiction. It has absolutely no error. It is God's Word. But now here's the thing. I've got a bunch of friends that think they're smarter than God's Word. You you have any friends like that? And they always have these reasons why this can't be right. But can I say to you, you're not smarter than God. And this book is His holy, infallible instruction to us. And here's what our job is if we're going to have victorious faith. Take God at His word. So notice... Victorious faith bows in worship, believes God's word even when it's not obvious. 
even when they are huge obstacles. I mean, how would you like to march toward that? Huh? I mean, look how big those walls are. And here's Joshua's instruction. And God says, see, I've given it to you. So what does Joshua have to do? He's got to believe God, and he's got to march toward that block wall believing God has already given it to him. And I'm telling you, every time God calls you to the line of faith to do something, it's not going to be obvious, and there are going to be huge obstacles, and you can give all the yeah buts that you want, but until you say, yes, Lord, I see it, I don't understand it, I don't comprehend how you're going to do it, but I'm going to take you at your word, you'll never see any walls fall in your life. You'll sit there and you'll stare at walls your entire life. Victorious faith has well-established priorities. One of them is believing God's Word. Even when it's not obvious, even when there are huge obstacles, and even though we might have huge objections. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter about the obstacles. Doesn't matter about our objections. Did you notice it wasn't Joshua's response here? to get into a discussion with God about the architecture and design of the wall? And isn't that what we do so many times? No, it's simply our job to believe what it is that God has said. And by the way, did you know that's the nature of faith? Here's what faith is. Faith always has God's Word as its object. And boy, I want to tell you, so many folk just don't have a good biblical definition of faith. A lot of folk today think faith is faith in faith. Well, if I just have enough faith, no, 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 no. It's not if you have enough faith, it's do you believe God's Word? You see, we don't come up with the marching orders. God does. He's written them for us. So our faith is to simply embrace what it is that God has said and live in accordance with it. That's biblical faith. So, victorious faith. And if we're going to see walls fall, if we're going to live in victory, we've got to have some well-established priorities. Hey, would y'all help me pray about this? Because this just clears the nose on your face. Grace will not be the victorious powerhouse that God wants her to be until she gets some priorities. Man, listen. Please don't think I'm being arrogant. I'd rather have 30 people who are rightly oriented to God than I had 300 who are half-hearted. By the way, God has never worked through the multitudes. Did you know that? Can I ask you this question? Which army had you rather go into battle with? The very first one that Gideon assembled that was 30,000 men? Or after God got through narrowing them down to the ones who were properly oriented with him? And how many did he end up with? 300. He's going against some powerful kings. Grace, listen to me. Hear, hear you, pastor. I have very little interest in filling every seat in this building with people who have no interest and being properly oriented to God. But I want to tell you, I have tremendous interest in filling this place with the remnant who will say, no matter what, God, I'm walking with you. 
And I'm going to have some well-established priorities in my life because if not, Grace Church is just going to be another also ran in history. Check out number two. Victorious faith has well-established priorities. Number two, victorious, victorious faith is expressed by obedience. By obedience. Hey, that's what faith does. It orients us. It establishes our priorities and guess what else it does? It expresses our obedience. Now here's the thing. Notice the heart of this text is the Lord given to Joshua explicit instructions of what they were supposed to do. And then Joshua given those same explicit instructions to the people who were to carry them out. And if these, if these explicit instructions were not meticulously carried out, then we wouldn't have the writer of the Hebrews saying, by faith the walls of Jericho fell. Because it's through faith that God worked in order to bring these walls down. So notice some of the things that, man, we could, we could put a list as long as our arm. I want to just pull out a couple of them here. Notice part of the explicit instruction through which their faith was expressed. Number one, verse number 10 says, they expressed uh, uh, their faith by obedience, number one, in focused silence. Focused silence. Check out verse number 10. Notice what it is that Joshua said. You shall not shout, nor let your voice be heard, nor let a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I tell. How hard do you reckon that was for some folk? Huh? Well, I'm telling you. (laughs) That had to be difficult, huh? They weren't to say a word while they were doing this. I mean, not a peep. I mean, if you stub your toe on a pedal on a pebble, you weren't allowed to say "ouch." It was focused silence. Now, get this: put yourself on the top of the wall. You're one of those arrogant folk in Jericho. Your confidence is not in the Lord, but in those walls. And you're watching these puny Israelites march around your fortified city, not saying a word. You know what I bet they did? I bet they shouted at them. What the heck are you idiots doing? This is hilarious. All of Jericho's looking down at y'all. We're laughing. We're thumbing our nose. We're saying, nanny, nanny, boo, boo. Now how hard would it be to have somebody in your ear like that ragging you, but yet God's Word says you don't open your mouth? Boy, we'd be well advised to take that advice sometimes, wouldn't we? Huh? Just keep your mouth shut. Because here's the deal. If you don't answer them, God will. But as soon as you get in a shouting match with them, God said, all right, it's all yours. Take it, Daddy. And you're going to end up in a shouting match all your life. Focused silence. Man, that had to be something. That had to be difficult. Here they were, marching around the city. Their lips were zipped, not saying a word. But now notice the next thing. Not only was there focus silence, but in verse number 16, the Bible tells us there was also a forceful shout. A forceful shout. Now, look at verse number 16. At the seventh time when the priests blow the trumpet, Joshua said to the people, Shout! 
So here they were. They had to march around in complete silence for six days. On the seventh day, at the precise moment, everybody at the same time had to shout. Now here's our problem. You know, neither one of these are more holy than the other. They were to be silent sometimes, and they were to shout at other times. And you know what our problem is sometimes? We get those mixed up. We just, by golly, don't know when to shout and when to be silent. I mean, there are times we ought to shout as the people of God. There are times we ought to be silent. And if we could get that right, man, there's no telling what the Lord could do through us if our life was properly oriented, there's no telling what He could channel through us. Here they were to have focused silence, but they were to have a forceful shout. What do you reckon that shout sounded like after those guys had been zip-lipped for six days and they finally got to shout? My word, I bet it shook the trees when those folks shouted. What do you reckon those folk on the top of the wall thought when they shouted? Well, it was almost too late, wasn't it? Check out number next. Not only was there focused silence, not only was there a forceful shout, but verses 17 through 21 put out this, this uh, 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 outline for us, their faithful service. What it was that they were to do. Faithful service. Are you beginning to see now this victorious faith? Man, there's a ton of instruction here. And here's what faith does. It orients us toward God so that God can work through us because, hey, it wasn't their shout that caused the walls to fall. It was God's power unleashed through their faith that was properly oriented toward God. Now, notice their faithful service. Let me just point out a few things. Number one, the first thing they were to do was completely destroy everything in the city. Now, can you imagine that? Notice, notice what, what, what these verses say. It says that they destroyed everything. Verse number 21, look at this. Man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. Everything. They had to wipe it out. Now look, this wasn't convenient warfare where a guy sat in a control room and piloted a drone with a laser-guided missile and he never saw the devastation and destruction. This was spear point obedience. God said, wipe them all out. Kill everything. So faithful service was to destroy. But notice the other is just the opposite of it, is to avoid self-destruction. And there's a play on words here in the original language that really doesn't come through in our English translations today. But here's literally what it says. It says, be careful to destroy everything so that you yourself do not become destroyed or so that you yourselves do not self-destruct. Check it out. God said, don't touch any of it because if you do, it's going to destroy you. Not only will it destroy you, it's going to destroy the entire camp of Israel. And friend, can I say to you, there's some things today, you just go ahead and mess with them as a believer... God doesn't have to judge you. You're going to destroy yourself. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, it'll just eat you up. It's almost like there's no escape from it. It's self-destruction. And I'm amazed at how many believers end up self-destructing simply because 
they didn't have their faith properly oriented toward God. And they ended up absolutely destroying their world. Check out number next. Victorious faith has well-established priorities. Victorious faith is expressed by obedience. And then verses 22 through 25 tell us that victorious faith escapes the coming judgment. Notice what these verses say about Rahab. Get right on down to the end of it. The Bible says that they burned the place with fire. Everything in there was burned up. But now check out Rahab. Verse number 24, they burned the city with fire and all that was in it. But now notice again Rahab. The Bible says, however, Rahab the harlot and her household and all she had was spared and she lived in the midst of Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So what is it that victorious faith does? Well, I think first thing we can see here is that Rahab missed the fate of her people. And what was the fate of her people? So they were all destroyed and the city was burned with fire. So victorious faith. You, you know there's a judgment day coming. Huh? And my goodness, it looks like it's closer. Well, it is closer than it's ever been, huh? But we can almost envision it. Now, if there was ever a time in the history of the world where we could envision it, it's right now. Victorious faith, thanks be unto God, allows you to escape that judgment, huh? She missed out on it. She missed out on it. Now, can you imagine that? I mean, the Bible tells us that her house was built in the wall. The entire wall fell down. The only thing part of the wall that didn't fall was her house. What in the world do you reckon they thought as they heard all the commotion and they were in that household? The only thing that didn't fall. My word. She missed out on the fate of her people. But now check this out because there's a lot of folk today and this is where I take this car and park it right back in the garage I got it out of. I challenge you to walk through Bonifay, Florida, talk to as many people as you can in one day and ask them about where they're going to go when they die. And I promise you, you'll be hard-pressed to find anybody who isn't convinced that they're going to heaven when they die. Oh, they're not, they're not going to experience this judgment. They're not going to experience this coming day of fire. But notice the second part of this. Not only did she miss out on the fate of her people, but victorious faith just doesn't cause you to miss out on something. It causes you to move in on something else. Hey, check this out. She missed out on the fate of her people, but she moved in with God's people. And you see, here's where this easy believism of Bonifay, Florida, just is not biblical, let alone victorious. Because all of those folk that say, oh yeah, I'm going to miss out on judgment. I'm going to heaven when I die. Man, I'm so glad to hear that you're rightly oriented with God. Tell me, what church are you a part of? Oh, you don't have to go to church. What do you mean? No, I ain't been to church in 40 years. I just bowed my head and prayed a prayer because preacher told me to do so when I was six years old in vacation Bible school. No, 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 no. 
Victorious faith that causes you to miss out on the coming judgment also causes you to move in with God's people. Check it out. Look in verse number 25 one more time. Where had Rahab lived at the time of writing? She has lived in the midst of Israel to this day. Friend, listen. Church is not optional. Certainly going to church doesn't save you. But I want to tell you, if you have been born again, God automatically puts a love in your heart that you can't explain for the brethren. Here's what John says. By this we know that we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. I could care less how many hypocrites there are. I could care less how much bickering goes on. I could care less how many warts they got on their nose. By golly, if you're the people of God and you're affiliated with Him walking in faith, you don't have to be perfect. He'll holify us in due time. But I'm telling you, you will love the brethren. And that love for the brethren will cause you to have some well-established priorities. No, I... I can't do that Sunday morning because I love my church and I'm going to be down there. No, I can't do that on Sunday morning because I have established priorities and I'm going to get into the presence of the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords. We're going to worship Him in spirit and in truth and He's going to fill our soul and He's going to fuel our service. We're going to rightly orient ourselves toward God and Boniface finally going to see what God can do through a church that's completely surrendered to Him. Would you stand with me please? Father in heaven, thank You for Your Word. God, we need you to do this. We can't do it ourselves. Lord, unless you supernaturally began to change our wanter, began to cause our desires to be your desires, our will to be your will, until you began to rearrange our broken priority system, God, we're going to be crossways with you forever and ever. But God, I pray in Jesus' name that you're going to so draw us into your presence as Grace Church just like you did Joshua when you appeared to him in the wilderness. And God, we're going to so be enthralled with who you are till it doesn't matter what you ask us to do because we know whom we have believed. And we're persuaded that he is able to keep that which we've committed unto him against that day. So God, would you begin to overhaul us, rearrange us, do in us, God, whatever it takes in order to have our faith rightly oriented towards you so that you can work through us, not only in Bonifay, but to the ends of the earth. God, may we truly be ascending church who are sending folk out of a genuine worship experience into the battles and seeing walls come tumbling down. God, whatever it is that we must do today in order to rightly orient our lives, God, would you allow us by faith to do so? I pray for those who are here today that have never been born again. They've bought into this cultural version of the gospel which is not powerful enough to save and transform. I pray, God, you'd call them to yourself. I pray for those who are, God, just crossways and don't have established, well-established priorities. God, would you fix that today? I pray for those today who need a church home whom they can love and affiliate with and, 
express worship and, and serve you faithfully. God, whatever it is, in Jesus' name, would you call us to the line today by faith? No matter what objections, no matter what obstacles, God, would you just make it plain to us? And may we obey you for your honor and glory, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.